0: Alright, what's up guys? I am Emily. I'm here with my co-host Kevin. What's up guys? And tonight we are Talking Trek. Let's get right into it. We want to discuss Star Trek Discovery. What we like, what we don't like. What we think is going to work, what we think is going to kill it in an early season. Episode 1, titled The Vulcan Hello, which I really enjoyed that. I didn't understand the title until... They got to that point in the show, but when that happened, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I
1: like any time they get the Vulcans involved.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, we're getting into this way too (laughs) early, but, you know, we got to see Spock, who was half Vulcan, half human, and that was a neat storyline, to watch him suffer between his Vulcan side and his humanity and kind of find an even ground there and now we've got his i don't know you want to call her his stepsister (laughs) if you will i don't really know how to do that but you know she suffers from the fact that she wanted to be able to purge her human side but she's human you know she has no vulcan in her
1: yeah by the time we see her she's not acting all that vulcan i mean in the first episode you you kind of get some of the Vulcanness, but she is full on human, and so I, I get that later in the second episode, and we are getting way ahead of ourselves. That yeah, she was she was raised Vulcan, but I I didn't get that at first.
0: Okay, okay, all right. Well, let's let's get back to um, let's get back to the sequence of events here. So let's talk about their intro scene. Okay, so they're on this planet to. Revival well for this race that's going to go extinct because of an 89 year storm that has put on a drought. And what bothers me about this opening sequence is they make mention of general order number one, which you could say that that is the prime directive, right? They say that they need to get to this well. And get it revived without making contact with this species. Violates
1: the Prime Directive.
0: Which violates the Prime Directive! <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> they're <laughs>
1: violating General Order 1. Yes, they're
0: just by. Day one. Day one. Just <laughs> by being there. Just by being there and. Helping the species survive, they are violating the Prime Directive. <laughs> that's the first thing I thought. So what the hell does it matter if they make contact with the species? They're already screwing it up. All right. Know? So, I mean, that's, I guess, you know, I say that was my problem with it. I'm just like, come on, guys. You know, you don't kind of violate the Prime Directive. <laughs> you either do or you don't. And in that instance, they were.
1: Well, yeah, when Kirk... Violates the Prime Directive, he knows he's violating the Prime Directive.
0: Right, but but the way they were saying it, they were like, well, you know, if, if we don't talk to them, it, it's okay. But they're they're, in, they're getting themselves involved in the natural evolution of a species. And if that evolution is for that species to die off, that's what's supposed to happen to them. Well, person. you know,
1: it, does that worry that they don't have a purist Trekkie on this show that would know that?
0: Well, okay, here's the thing. I didn't want to get into this until much later into the conversation. But I've, I have I could not. I've tried very hard to stay off social media um, before we did this first podcast because I didn't want anybody else to influence my decision. But I've come across several feeds on Reddit with exactly that question. And that is where I learned that there is a new book out, which I bought and we'll be here tomorrow, um that is called Star Trek Discovery Desperate Hours. And what that book does is basically fills all of the holes that we're gonna be talking about today. Oh boy. And there there's a lot of there's a lot of good and bad with that. A lot of people are saying well that's just lazy. Why did they make the holes in the first place? And then other people are like eh, know it's great we now we get a whole bunch of new trek novels that we get to read along with it so you know it's good and it's bad but we'll, we'll get we'll get back to desperate hours uh, desperate hours in a minute so that was that was my big my big issue with the opening sequence general order number one let's talk about uh them stamping out their little insignia to be picked up by their ship
1: I must have looked away because the first <laughs> time I watched it totally missed it second time I watched it I was like hey that's pretty cool actually because I wrote down on my notes I set a star I was like what does that mean right. why did she not explain what that meant and then I was like this time we watched it, I was like
0: oh yeah oh yeah there it is, there it is. The big thing. I thought ah, oh, that is super cheesy but I love it you know it, it's perfect it's a good way to start this series I think
1: and I think the other thing I picked up from that opening sequence is she says, Walk in my lines in the sand. And I thought that's a that's a Star Wars reference. Sand people walk in, li- <laughs> in straight lines to hide their numbers. To hide their numbers But also now I get it because if she's drawing the emblem it, Yes,
0: exactly. She, she doesn't
1: she didn't want it to have a border on it. Right. She wanted it,
0: she she wanted straight lines. Right. right. That's funny. That's a good pull on that. All right, so let's talk about this title sequence. The the title sequence, I was a little bit scared because when it wasn't just a ship flying through space, I thought, oh, God, we've got another Enterprise sequence, right? <laughs> and I know that a lot of people have nothing but love for that Enterprise sequence, but I think it is just terrible. I would have much rather seen Scott Bakula standing in his little quantum leap lightning (laughs) (laughs) and listen to that stupid song every time you watch an episode. But I will say this about that, um, that title sequence. It is bookended. I don't know if you notice, the first two notes of that song are the first two notes you hear in the original series opening. Right. And then at the end of it, it's rounded out. By the same thing. So it it, it kind of gives the viewers, you know, this is familiar, but now it's new, but it's okay because you like
1: it. You know what I mean? Right, and I like the, com- I like the drawings and the communicator. I thought that was cool. That is really because, cool. Because it looked like the old communicator from the original series.
0: That is really cool. And, you know, I watched um, a little mini documentary, you know, it wasn't just a few minutes long, about how much effort they put into these props. I mean... They truly studied the original series, and they tried to replicate that as best they could. But obviously, it looks better because it's 2017. You know, there's right there. There's a lot of that. You know, the bridge looks more high tech than the bridge of the original Enterprise, but they couldn't help it.
1: That I can get over. You know, I, I can get over that. Hey, we're into 2017 and we probably have a better vision of the future than, than they did in, in 1967. Sure. But, you know, and, and even in 19, whenever uh, Next Generation came out, 89. Right. Yeah, we, we have a better vision of what technology and everything's going to be like in the future. You know, it's, it's, it's like if, if they'd have done what they did in the prequels of Star Wars and made, made all of the ships look far more advanced than they did in the original ones, that's where I'd have, I'd have been, like, losing my mind. Sure, but sure. I, well, I was and, okay but, with that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that, too. There are a few things that that I dislike um, about the technology, but we'll, we'll get to that. So um, let's talk about Michael Burnham, First Officer. Uh, she's doing the little voiceover at the beginning, and she says, on Earth, it's May 11." Twenty two fifty six. So, I just want to lay this out right here. Captain Pike took command of the Enterprise in 2252. Spock joined the Enterprise crew in 2254. So, Spock and Pike are currently out there somewhere aboard the Enterprise. Okay? So, that's laying the groundwork now for a possibility in the future, for a run-in with that crew. I'm not saying they'll do it. I'm just saying that it's possible it could happen.
1: Right. and in, in, in theory, she has to know Spock.
0: I mean, yeah, I mean she, some
1: relationship with she Spock. She grew up with him. Yeah.
0: You know, she she grew up with him. She has to know him.
1: But this series, I mean, and we're getting to episode here, but this series is going in a completely different direction than, I'm on a starship, I'm traveling around, you know, running into problems and discovering stuff, she's going to get into some kind of trouble. I mean, I, I, we're getting to episode two, but really, this this we'll see where this goes, if she's out there exploring space, running into the Enterprise. But since you bring up this timeline, I mean, they're having a pretty big crisis here at a binary store not that far away from Earth. Where's the Enterprise?
0: Well, okay, this was my problem, too. You know, we see... Um, let, let's get there. Let's get there in a minute. I want to talk about Chief Science Officer Lieutenant Saru for a second. He is a Kelpian, which is a species that we have never seen in any iteration of Star Trek. This is the problem I have with prequels, right? If this series was set past Voyager, past the motion picture nemesis, then they wouldn't have to explain why we had never seen a Kelpian before. But now, you have to ask the question, we've never, in the future, had another Kelpian serve in Starfleet. Do you see what I'm saying?
1: Well, I get it. And prequels are like this, and then there's people like us who are, are pretty big fans, and people who are probably bigger fans than us, who uh, analyzing every hole in a uh, prequel's Storyline, and it, it, it's hard when you do a movie that's a prequel, but try doing a show that's a prequel. I can't right. imagine trying to fill those holes, right?
0: I mean, if this but thing runs
1: for, I will say this the guy did explain that his race of people were, were like cattle,
0: yes, on this
1: that... planet. And so, that gives me a thought that maybe the you know, him becoming a Starfleet officer is probably a fairly unique thing. For well, and his that, that is
0: a good point, his little um whatever they called it, the threat antennae. Yeah. When they came out of the side of his head in that one scene, I just thought that was a really cool thing to see. But, you know, besides being a kelpian and a new species, the only thing that doesn't really bother me that much, the only thing that bothers me about Lieutenant seru is he is obviously the Sheldon of the crew. I mean, CBS cannot get enough... Of Sheldon right now. They have a whole new series dedicated to Sheldon as a child. And now they've put him on the bridge of a freaking starship. I mean, he's I, very... I kind
1: of liked him, Sheldon. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just saying, they are squeezing every last drop of blood out of All right, of the I'm okay. surprised
1: that the Jim Parsons didn't play this character.
0: I mean, I totally Googled it. I was like, is that Jim Parsons? <laughs> I was like, maybe it is. It's not. But um, let's talk about um, Burnham's trek in the spacesuit out of, out of the ship. Yeah. Um, the spacesuit reminded me a lot of the spacesuits that you see in First Contact, the Next Generation movie. Right. Do you remember that when right. they were out um, on the surface of the Enterprise messing with the dish or whatever. Um, it reminded me a lot of that. I thought that that spacesuit was very well designed. And again, you come back to, you know, technology is better for us now. Um, uh, movie TV technology. So of course it had all of the, the monitors and uh, visual aesthetics on the screen that you wouldn't see in the original series, you know, trash can helmet. Right.
1: Um,
0: But I thought it was very well done, and I enjoyed it.
1: I liked it too, but I thought, okay, there was a couple of years ago that uh, Kirk and uh, (laughs) Khan were in some suits that were completely different. I know. Doing the same thing. Yeah, I know,
0: I know, I know, I know,
1: I know, I I mean, I guess it's a different producer, different network, different studio, so, I mean, what can you expect? I mean, it wasn't like they had J.J. Abrams over here saying, well, why don't you just use what we did with Kirk? you know, that supposedly happened a few years later. Right, right.
0: Well, I don't know. I, I liked it. I thought, um, I thought that whole sequence was very well done um, as far as cinematography is concerned. I thought it was a really good shot. Um, I loved when they were reading Michael Burnham's vitals and they were elevated, just that one little thing uh, of the captain saying, she's having fun. Wow. You know that that put Burnham, who is obviously more on the serious side, it it made her look a little more fun to the crew, which which I really liked. Um, so she gets out there, and what does she see? She sees this giant Klingon beacon, right? Um, which I don't know how much you know of. Uh, Klingon religion I mean how much does anybody I, I mean,
1: know really who knows they, they're reinvent, and this is one of the points that I, I had we hadn't talked about they're completely reinventing the Klingons again
0: I know I mean I, know, I get I it know. I
1: get it from from the original series to Worf that you're gonna reinvent their look but now they're reinventing their look again
0: the, and real, the biggest the, the biggest issue I have with the way that the Klingons look now is is where the fuck did their hair go? Right. Why are they all bald? (laughs) Why don't they have any hair? Why couldn't they look like Worf? Right. Why couldn't they look like Worf? They look almost like Worf. Right. But why did they take away their hair? Not a single one of those Klingons has any hair at all. And it is weird. Right. I know. I know. I know. I know. So, you know, um, so a couple of things that... That are kind of off about the Klingons, you know, their lack of hair, the way they look. So let's talk about, you know, um, Michael Burnham accidentally uh, kills their Watchmen out there. Um, in Next Generation, when a Klingon died, they didn't care about the body. The body was, it was a shell, it no longer mattered. So they normally just discarded it into space. Yeah, right? that's
1: what I'm calling bullshit on this whole I'm putting them into a coffin and attaching them to the side of my ship.
0: Exactly. I thought that was really, really weird. I mean, they did, uh, they did follow canon in the fact that they opened the dead Klingon's eyes and looked into them. And then they all did the screaming thing. You know, that was very next yeah. generation, whatever. But attaching them, you know, prepping them for burial and then attaching them to the outside of the ship in what they were calling the Black Fleet, Now, I don't know, you probably don't know much, if anything, about the Black Fleet, because that's not actually ever mentioned in any of the series or the movies. When you hear about Klingon religion and the afterlife in the TV series, you hear um, about Stovacor, which is basically where all the Klingons go to, you know, fight all their battles, life after death, whatever. Black Fleet is actually mentioned... In star trek novels so this isn't something this isn't something that's new but it's not something that you've seen on tv before
1: so i thought it
0: was i thought it was kind of neat that they actually pulled in some references from the star trek novels you know i will give them points for that they went deep on that and i thought that was really cool but again I, I just can't get past the fact that they put so much effort into bringing in their dead. Now, if they didn't, if they didn't spend so much time building up this black fleet on how they had to bring all the bodies in and get them prepped to be the shell of their ship, then we would have never had the way to send that torpedo. Up with one of them. You see what I'm saying? I think that they, they wrote that in there because they needed to figure out a way right. to get that torpedo And I get it. All right, so let's talk about um, Michael Burnham getting out to this beacon. Um, it's a really weird looking thing, but you kind of get the sense that it's going to be Klingons, first of all, because you know it's going to be Klingons. But um, the design of it, when she lands on it, it's wings for lack of a better word, start to open. And that's a very bird of prey thing, you know. But then she actually sees the Klingon emblem, which kind of seals the deal on what it is. But what I want to really point out here is this Klingon is heavily armored in his space suit, so you can't see him. But when she runs him through with his own batlet, do you see that Klingon blood? Mm-hmm. that was Klingon blood it wasn't it wasn't red it was a, a deep shade of magenta you know I mean it was they did a really good job of just and it was just for a split fucking second but they they did a really good job of going that's not quite human blood that's thats the Klingon blood come out so I thought, I thought that was good you know they 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 followed. They were well within the alliance of the continuity boundary, I would say.
1: Yeah, no, I had no problem with the scene. I thought it was pretty cool. Like how, you know, it, in space, um, the Klingon warrior was a little more equalized to than a human. If they were, you know, within gravity, I'd be a little more worried about sure, that, any human taking on a Klingon. And that's
0: in, a really good point, especially since all that we've seen so far of this this new... Klingon race, um, is they are bad motherfuckers. I mean, they're all big and they're all scary and they always all have been, but they're really making these guys out to be somebody that you don't want to fuck with. Right. Um, so that, that's a really good point. They were kind of on a level playing field being out in space and being slow moving. Right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, the, uh, the death ritual, for the torchbearer, um, I thought it was a little weird. Yeah, it was
1: very Egyptian. It was like the whole thing was it like was a rip-off <laughs> of um, the, you know, earth Egyptian mythology. It was
0: very Egyptian. You know, they had him wrapped up like a mummy. They had this very uh, elaborate sarcophagus that they put him in. You know, poor Spock. He got a sunglasses case. You know <laughs> what I mean? But... So they, you know, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, it, it's a little different than the Klingon death rituals that we're used to seeing. Um, I don't know. I just, I just didn't like it.
1: Well, and, you know, all of them were wearing Egyptian sort of get-ups. I mean, like the thing around their necks and the thing kinda, over their shoulders. It kind of looks like
0: bone, but it's not bone. Right. You know, it's real. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how I feel about all that. I mean, I, you know, I miss their simple. Yeah,
1: like their their Wookie sash. Their
0: Wookiee sash. <laughs> yeah, I forget what it's called right now. Uh, but yeah, but you know, I that I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, let's get four or five episodes into this and see how we feel about it then. It's just that they've reinvented the Klingons again. You know, I'm glad they did from the original series to Next Generation. That was a that was a good... Well, and I guess that it wasn't even between the original series and Next Generation. It was between the original series and the original series movies. Right. You know, because we see um, in wrath of khan yeah the the, the very first time you see the klingons in uh the original cast movies they are the klingons that we've seen from here on out right you know um uh, so to change them again i don't know needlessly especially since this is a prequel you know
1: i guess it fits their storyline and and, and I worry that the production value on these first two episodes is so good and they put so much money into the Klingons and the special effects that we're going to run into a wall where you're not going to make enough money on a streaming show that you only stream on your own network.
0: Uh, I know, I'm, and I'm talking every every social media platform you go on, facebook twitter reddit everybody all they're talking about is that first episode that was really good but i'm not going to pay ten dollars a month for it
1: right because they're not going to dump them like netflix right they're not going to make all of them dump them out there let you watch them they're going to make you pay for it for a month if if seth MacFarlane can put on a spoof you know, uh, star show on a prime I network. I haven't watched I it. It could be great. I haven't but watched it, but if that can either. make it on make it on a broadcast network, this could amazing.
0: I haven't watched the Orville yet at AMC. all. AMC. But all I hear is that it's amazing. Yeah. And I and, mean, I like
1: Seth Farland. but I'm just saying that this whole you know everybody's going to have a streaming network and. Nickel and dime me at uh, uh, $10 a month. It's just
0: not going to work. Well, I had to get rid of the WWE Network so I could afford to get CBS All Access. Okay, so we get past the Klingons, and we see uh, Burnham while she's undergoing her treatments because she's been exposed to too much radiation. She's obviously dreaming, or we're flashing back to her childhood where she's at the uh, Vulcan Learning Academy. And it's obvious that she's got history with Klingons, right? Because she's unable to answer the questions posed by the computer about what appears to be some sort of mass murder or confrontation uh, between the Klingons and a human Vulcan outpost called Doctory Alpha. This is always a good storyline. You know, they had to bring it in. It's the same with, you know... Kirk and the Klingons, it's a good storyline. The Klingons murdered her family, right? The Klingons killed Kirk's family and how many epic movies did we get because of that?
1: Well, I like the, the, the question and answer session where she couldn't answer about how many people died. Because and, it, and it reminded me of a voyage home when when Spock couldn't answer the question of how do you feel? Right. How do you feel? How do
0: you feel? Yes. So I mean, it's it's polar opposites. He was so Vulcan he couldn't answer that, and we're seeing here where she's so human yep. that she can't she can't answer those emotional questions yep. either, but yep. for a different reason. Mm-hmm. It's a very good point. That 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 was very well done. So. So we're, we're kind of getting set up here that uh, number one, Burnham, is going to have an issue with the Klingons.
1: It's funny you say that because I did like when the captain calls her number one because I think that's a nod to Riker and Picard, and I liked that. It,
0: it, is, an, it is a nod to Riker and Picard. It's also a nod to um, the unaired pilot of the original series. Um, their original first officer was a woman... Who was called number one? You know that's yeah. and and that's why I think TNG did it. They yeah. were nodding to that. You know they never got to have that number one they wanted because you know Kirk and Spock were too close for for those kind of I don't know. It would have just been different.
1: yeah. I mean he he called he called him Kirk. Yeah, he didn't call him Captain. Well right anyway
0: anyway (laughs) that's that's a subject matter for a different day um so burnham comes to and she rushes to the bridge to tell him it's the klingons because at this point nobody else knows it's the klingons and she's trying to get um trying to get him to go to red alert. And I I really liked the scene there where between the captain and number one, where the captain had nothing to go on except what Burnham was telling her. And I like the fact that she listened, you know, that that's good on me. Um, I like how they established that relationship, especially because of the trauma that occurs in episode two you know, I like that they made that relationship deep
1: for us before they crushed it. Right, right. And they, you know, explain later in episode two about how the relationship started. Now you kind of understand, you know, where they started and how they came, you know, you're starting to understand how they
0: came to be that way. Right, right. Right now we're going to talk about um, the scene on the Klingon ship. Um, I love the fact that. That these Klingons are speaking nothing but Klingon. I absolutely love it. I don't mind the subtitles. I love hearing the Klingons. I think it's going to um, make the Klingon language more popular. <laughs> I
1: wanna go all hunt for the Red October, where Sean Connery's speaking Russian and then there's like a glitch and he goes, back, goes into English. It was cute for the first five minutes but I'm done reading and trying to take in the scene all at the same time because some of the words come up on the screen and the pace of the actual Klingon being spoken is so fast that I can't take the sentences in, so I haven't figured out exactly what what all of the Klingon stuff is about. And,
0: And I will say it does move pretty fast, but as someone that watches all tv with the subtitles on i mean i i watch everything with subtitles on um so i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of used to it i don't (laughs) i don't know why i do i just enjoy it so let's talk about what the klingons are doing right now this beacon that they just lost their torchbearer um they're trying to find a new torchbearer to take the take his place and the one that is like I guess next in line doesn't really want to do it and he says that he doesn't want to do it because he's not entirely sure that his brothers and sisters meaning the rest of the Klingons are going to answer this call so what this goes back to and they explain it a little bit this goes back to again Klingon religion in that this beacon is going to represent the light of Kalos to um, the Klingon people, and so the history of Kalos is he was a great warrior, and he, he's basically, for, I don't know, a lack of a better way to put it, he's the Klingon Jesus, <laughs> and <laughs> and Kalos' second coming is supposed to be marked by this huge light in the sky, and So when this huge light shoots out into the universe, it's supposed to tell all of the other Klingons that Kalos has arrived, and they're supposed to be drawn toward it. So this this is our main Klingon's plan. He's gonna draw the rest of the Klingons together to unify them against Starfleet. And so, this this was for me I, I really enjoyed this scene I, I really like how they fleshed this out um, and they're really playing up the Klingon religion I, I I think that's cool I enjoy it um I loved how they have this coward of a Klingon though that's like no I don't really want to do it
1: well, I did like how that the, the ultimately the The person that they get to do it doesn't have a a name it doesn't have a house to his name he doesn't have a house which which you know if you think back to all the history we have in the klingons that kind of thing wouldn't fly i mean you remember how in 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 the next generation Worf had to jump through hoops to to restore his his father's honor and his brother had to help him with that and you know it, it is telling that this guy who has no house and basically has no honor is now uh, going to be this torchbearer.
0: Right. He's stepping up. And and it's weird, um, the albino Klingon, um, I, I hope they give us a little bit more backstory on that. Right. Um, I mean, I kind of get the impression, um, so when they make the call, they light the beacon And the other Klingons arrive, which you'll notice, it's the 24 houses, uh, 24 ships show up. It's all 24 houses that make up the Klingon Empire, which I thought, okay, that's very well done. You know, good job on that. But as they're speaking to the other Klingons that arrive, I get the sense that one of them is the house that the albino belongs to. Um,
1: Okay, I didn't pick that up. That's interesting.
0: Um, you 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 kind of see that in a little bit of the back and forth. I got to talk about these holograms. Come on now, come on.
1: I like the holograms because you know what? In the future, what you know now that we see where technology is today, it makes far more sense than on screen.
0: That's true. That's true. But I got to go back to this is a prequel. Right, but I can I could live with differences like that. It's called,
1: you know, you're you're later on in developing this show and they're not gonna hold directly to the to the you know, what was available in the eighties and, and in the sixties. Yeah, yeah,
0: that you know, I get that, 90s. that's true. And you know, they're later As long
1: as they don't violate the, you know, the, the warp factor maximums of the ship, <laughs> I won't complain about, you know, that well,
0: I know. I know. But all I have to say is, you know, Star Trek, they have a few times played with the hologram technology. Um, I remember it in DS9, but right. They can
1: holodeck, they can hologram.
0: Well, that's true. But are they holodecking here?
1: Well, true. They're not. They're not. This is way before holodeck. It
0: is. Yeah. So, you know, that's.
1: But this could be the early version of holodeck, not quite as good as the, you know, next
0: generation holodeck. Well, and you know, it could be a technology they're trying out. You know what I mean? And for whatever reason, it doesn't work out, so they go back to just using the view screens. But you know, so that it is what it is. So let's get back to, um, so the Klingons light their beacon, and Burnham is trying so hard to figure out what to do. She knows they're in a pickle. So she calls upon Sarek, her guardian, I guess we can call him. Um, I don't know how I feel about Phil Dunphy. Um, (laughs) I... I don't know how I feel about their relationship because the Sarek that I know and love and love and and again this comes back to it being a prequel that we already have um, preconceived notions of what these people are supposed to be like and the first time you see Sarek he has an extreme distaste for Spock for joining Starfleet I mean he doesn't When Sarek and Amanda first board the Enterprise, and first of all, Spock has told no one, I'm getting off topic, that those are his parents. But when Kirk tries to get Spock to give Sarek a tour of the ship, Sarek's like, no, fuck no, I want somebody else. And he he's pissed at Spock for leaving Vulcan and leaving the science academy to go to Starfleet.
1: That's his son. That's like you know. This is like uh, his adopted daughter who is a human anyway, and you know, might and, as well.
0: I know, and maybe that's. I just can't get around it. But he I, is very. Um, he has emotional responses in in their conversation. Right. I don't know that, that. That's not Sarek. I mean, he could he could support her in Starfleet and that would be fine, but he doesn't get to be, um, and this is more into episode two, but he doesn't get to be funny and he doesn't get to be witty and he doesn't get to be caring because he is still a Vulcan. Right Whether now, or not she is, he's still a Vulcan.
1: Right, now, and this is not the Sarek that we remember from the original movies or from the new movies. I mean, this is... this. Character has a. I mean, obviously the actors not. But this character has a different personality. Right. It's like we only know one Vulcan, like that we can go to. Right. It's it, or, or you know one family of Vulcans. We know Sarek. We know Spock. That's pretty much it. I mean, unless you're going to get Kirstie Alley's family involved. In well, this no,
0: and then you've got to But I mean, but but really, your core Vulcans are your half Vulcan. And your Vulcan Vulcan. Who, that, made a, uh, who
1: married
0: who made a, human. a human. Yeah. So, it okay. Let, let's but, but I
1: only think they did that because at some point they're going to bring Spock in. They have to. But then it's going to be disappointing because obviously it's not going to be Leonard Nimoy. And obviously it's not going to be Zachary I, Quinto.
0: Zachary Quinto. It's not going to be Zachary Quinto. Um, I would be okay if it was Adam Nimoy. Why not? Why not get right? to it?
1: Okay, so it's just like in Young Sheldon, how you know that Sheldon's mom is Laurie Metcalf from Big Bang Theory, but they get Zoe Perry to play uh, Sheldon's mom and Young Sheldon is Zoe Perry's mom, Laurie Metcalf.
0: Okay, so that's interesting. So, you know, I would, especially after seeing the documentary that um, Adam Nimoy did, I have so much respect for that guy throw him in and Spock let him do it right. let, him, let him fill those shoes for an episode you know right. I mean he's a little bit older than Spock should have been at that age but fuck that's fine you know edit that shit out
1: that's makeup
0: yeah right? it's makeup but okay so let's talk about um so Michael Barnum is talking to Sarek she wants to know how do how do the Vulcans keep the Klingons at bay and here's where we come into the name of the episode a Vulcan hello so, turns out, every time the Vulcans um, make contact with the Klingons, they shoot at them. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this is hilarious. I mean, it's, it is the most illogically logical thing they can right, do. Right, that's I the mean,
1: thing is, I ask myself, is it logical,
0: though? Right, but it totally is, right? It's, it, seems, it seems like a really crazy thing for the Vulcans to do. Um, because they're not warriors, you know, they're not aggressive at all. But they have figured out through logic that what's going to stop the Klingons is just, hey, sit down and shut up. You know, they're, they're wagging their finger at them.
1: Well, you're right. It is the most logically illogical thing to do because humans would, and as they prove here would know what the logical thing to do is and then stubbornly not do it.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. So I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was an amazing little piece of the story. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about that. So Michael's trying to convince the captain, you have to fire on the Klingons, you have to fire on them. They get into a fight on the bridge, they take it to the ready room. And what does Michael do? She knows the fucking nerve pitch. We don't we don't see a lot of people that can do the nerve pitch. I mean, even when um in Search for Spock, when McCoy was I want to say infested, but that's not the right word. When McCoy was carrying around Spock's cotra, and he tried to do the nerve pinch and was unsuccessful, I mean, he had a Vulcan in his mind, and he couldn't do it. And here we've got this human that could do it. Um, I thought thought that was pretty neat. Um, So she basically commits treason. She knocks out her captain. She goes to the bridge, and she's like fire on these sons of bitches
1: it's mutiny it is mutiny
0: it's it's definitely mutiny and then the end of the episode is the klingon fleet warping in which gave me goosebumps i applauded it literally it was it was a really good shot i enjoyed it but then you had an abrupt end to episode one i mean it it just stopped right there and it was so abrupt um I was taking notes. It was so abrupt that I didn't realize that it it had ended and we were seeing previews for the next episode. So the last line of my notes on episode 1 is what the fuck with commercial moving ahead of the aired story. I didn't realize that it was you know the story was over and they were like stay tuned i was like this, this is all I, I don't
1: remember for sure but i was too i was like uh did this just end?" What is it? Over? and it was really confusing because on my dvr it looked like it was the first episode was supposed to be an hour and 45 minutes long but it totally was an hour long when i actually watched it and i had, and i thought because of football so i recorded like the show after that so right. that I could watch it I was like really confused was the episode over or was it not over right
0: i didn't it went by very quickly i'm not i'm not entirely sure how long it was but it went by so fast so anyway so let's let's wrap up our thoughts on episode 1 we've talked about the good and we've talked about the bad and i keep coming back to the fact that prequels are very hard to do Um, but overall, I am pleasantly surprised. I thought the first episode was well done. Um, I enjoyed, I, I gave the Kelpian a hard time, but I enjoyed seeing a new alien. I'm not entirely sure about this daft punk crewman that we've got going on. (laughs) We need to figure out, I mean, we assume it's a she cause she has boobs, but... You know, hopefully they'll talk about her a little bit more in episode three because they didn't talk about her at all in episode two either.
1: First, I thought she was totally an android. And, you know, looking at the direction we're we're going, we may not see this crew again.
0: That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that at all. You know, Um, I was really confused. I was like, why is this called Star Trek Discovery if that's not the name of the ship? You know, I didn't. I didn't understand it. I didn't put two and two together um, in the first episode. So you're right. I mean, um, Burnham gets put on a different ship with a different crew. We may never see this Kelpian again. You know, Um, we may never see any of them again. So, but all in all, how do you feel about it? You like it? You're going to keep watching it? I'm going to keep watching it and I liked it. You know, I'm
1: I'm, I'm a fan of of The Walking Dead. So, you know, if I call her Sasha, it's probably just a mistake. (laughs) But... But, you know, she was the best part of the show. I thought, you know, I really liked how, you know, she was vulcanly trained, but she was still human. Yes. She was logical, but then she was completely illogical. Yes. And so, you know, yeah, I'll keep watching. I I didn't have a a ton of problems. I can get past the Klingons. Maybe they won't be in every episode, so I won't spend the whole time reading. But, (laughs) you know all in all it was a good show
0: it, it is it is a great show and i can't wait for my my little book to arrive um so it can fill in the holes for me a little bit and we'll talk about that after i read the book um, i might make you read it too just so we can talk about it but so all in all good show um thank you for listening to us ramble on and on about something that we both really enjoy Um, We'd like to give a shout out to Amanda Lynn Photography based in Oklahoma City. Without her generous donation of this equipment, we wouldn't be able to record any of this. So thank you for that. Kevin, I enjoyed talking about this with you, and I can't wait to talk about the second episode. Me too. Good times. All right. Bye, guys.